Today we're wrapping up our series, Set Foot on the Road Never Traveled, as we close the book of Joshua. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it, as we journeyed with Joshua and the people of Israel. After all, their story is very similar to ours. They may have different names for their enemies and places, but the plot of their story remains essentially the same to God's people today, for us. It's the same storyline, it's the same path to which God calls us to walk by faith one step at a time, one battle at a time, until God's promise are fully realized for us. Now in this last chapter, chapter 24, Joshua closes with one goal in mind. He intends to accomplish this before he passes on. It's in chapter 24. Let me read the first part for you. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites. I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of your vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Joshua intends to lead Israel into a covenant renewal to God. After all the battles and the land had rest from war, and as Israel settled into their inheritance, once more God's people needed to reaffirm and refresh their loyalties unto God to clarify and solidify the relationship and the resolve between them so that those who are tired could be reinvigorated, those who are asleep could be awakened, and those who are straying could be turned back. A covenant renewal like this, a spiritual renewal, is crucial in junctures like this, just as we need need it in our own time and place today. So Joshua leads them into a covenant renewal, and what results is an iconic declaration for God. It is a rallying call of faith, to faith, for faith. How can we pursue something like that in our own lives today when we so desperately need some new breakthrough? What are the important elements of renewal that we need to make sure is in place as we seek renewal before God. From Joshua 24, we can see at least three key elements, and let's unpack that today. We need the element of the place, grace, and replace. Place, grace, and replace. And we need every one of them to pursue genuinely a revival in our spiritual lives. We need a place. The first thing Joshua does is to convene all the tribes of Israel into one place, into Shechem. It says there, Joshua gathered them to Shechem. And as a response, the people went there to present themselves before God. Now, Shechem is not an incidental detail that Joshua came up with at the last minute. It's not chosen randomly or for convenience's sake. No, it was an important detail. Now, we modern people, we are so used to talking in in abstractions and digital places that we often underestimate the significance of places, places with real longitude and latitude. Joshua chose Shechem for an important reason. See, more than 400 years ago, their father Abraham was called by God, who was still called, Abraham was still called Abram at this point. God called him and promised to give him descendants as numerous as the stars. And through his descendant, he would bless the nations. And so God told this to Abraham, and he promised that he would fulfill this promise onto a land that he would give Abraham's family. And so Abraham responds in faith, and he travels to this land, this promised land, and there he arrives at his first stop, guess where? At Shechem. And there in that place, in that first stop inside the promised land, God once again spoke to him to reaffirm the promise that this land will be theirs one day. And Abraham responds in faith. He builds an altar and he, res- and he worships God. And it is a seed of his faith planted in Shechem. Now, generations would pass by 
with no clear sign as to when God would give the land to Abraham's family. But Shechem was always there. And generation after generation would walk through this place, reminded of the promise, of God's promise, that is as firm and certain as the ground upon which they walked in this place. Centuries later, God would call Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And as they were near the promised land, God instructed Moses to designate two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, to be a landmark memorial, to be witnesses of the covenant between them and God. And these two mountains were on either side of Shechem in the middle. So put yourself in Joshua's place here as they were about to do the covenant renewal. Joshua and the tribes of Israel gathered back now here at Shechem with the two mountainous witnesses towering beside them, sandwiching them, calling them into the covenant. And they were here gathered as one people of Abraham's family with the land, the promise of land fulfilled. The promise that was made centuries ago to their father now was theirs. Israel would not have missed the significance of this place, of what this place signifies. This place has collected stories and memories across generations. This place has accumulated staggering amounts of faith and hope in God. This place signifies God's faithfulness and God's power and God's grace for them. And upon this place, they will fulfill and renew their covenant. This was sacred ground, holy place. See, upon this place, it provided a fixed, stable location where Israel could go back to. Amidst all the chaos of their lives, they could make sense of their lives through this fixed place to look back at their journey and their, and their battle so far and to see it in the hands of the Almighty God. This place was their meeting place with God. And in here, as they saw the mountains and the trees, the stones, they saw toward beyond that into an invisible reality of the sovereign God who called them and led them and protected them and blessed them and fulfilled the promise of land to them. See, if you are serious about renewing a covenant relationship with God, if you are serious about getting back on track with your spiritual life before God, then you have to ask yourself, where am I going to present myself before God? Of course, how you do it and why you do it is very important, but where you do it also matters. Now, if you've ever organized a formal gathering, whether it's, it's your wedding or graduation or some big celebration, you know that the venue matters, right? Because the venue is going to be the context for your special day. So you look at the venue, 
You look at the weather there, the layout, the, the, the sights and sounds, the smells, the food. When you get there, what do you think? What do you see? What do you hear? What do you remember? How does this place make me feel? All of that matters. All of that matters. So we would spend weeks or even months looking for a perfect spot for our wedding. Surely, it deserves some prayerful consideration where we would meet God. Whether it is in some special way or in a daily way in our personal walk with Him. That's why it's often encouraged that you pick a specific time and place for your personal worship, for your devotions. That place is to be consecrated to God. And you give that to God and you let, that, let Him turn that into sacred ground, into a meeting place for God. And that is why we also go to the discipleship center. There's a reason why this is the last online English worship message. Next week, we're going to start gathering again at the Discipleship Center for the English worship service. And yes, I know that means waking up early on a Sunday morning, having to travel and all that. Yes, and yes, I know that the online messages are more convenient and they're easier and more time efficient. Yes, but if you're being honest, these online worship messages are frankly they're not enough. They're often very underwhelming in how we worship through them, right? Why? Because we need a Shechem. We need a sacred place to worship God together as one people, to present ourselves before Him upon that place. A place that is untangled from other agendas, a place that is designed and devoted to meeting God alone and to collect memories of His presence and power through the years and decades and generations. A place with, with no obstruction so that we have a clear sight towards the God with whom we wish to bond ourselves with in a covenant forever. We need a place of Shechem. And that's what the Discipleship Center is for. And so we wish and we plan and commit to gather there. Our task is to keep going there, to brave the roads, to brave the traffic, to set aside the time to gather in this place, in this sacred place, in this consecrated place, to present ourselves before God. And by God's grace, He shall meet us there in glory, turning that concrete building into a place of holiness and glory and His presence, sacred ground, a holy place. So this is the first element that we need as we pursue a spiritual renewal. Now when we get there, well what now? How does this covenant renewal begin, right? What do we do there? Well the first order of business is always, always to give our attention to God's grace. It's to give our attention to God's grace. Now, this is how Joshua begins and leads the covenant renewal before God. He brings the word of God. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I took your father 
I sent Moses. I brought you out. I brought you to the land. I destroyed your enemies. I delivered you out of them. I sent the horn before you. I gave you a land on which you had not built. See, God's part is He gives us His grace in this covenant. Now let's step back for a moment. What do we mean by a covenant? Well, a covenant is essentially a relationship that is bonded by a contract. Think, for example, of a marriage. There's a relationship and you're bound by this contract, right? With, with responsibilities and a duty and a commitment to each other that is legally bound. And that is what we have in the gospel, right? Through Jesus Christ, we are in a new covenant with God. We are bound by faith to Jesus Christ and God, and God binds himself to us through Jesus Christ. Now, what is involved in that binding to each other? Well, there's two parts, right? There's God's part and our part as we bind to each as we're bound to each other. Well, let's look at God's part first and we look at our part in the next point. Because the first question is always, what does God say? What does He bind Himself to us? What does He promise for us? That is the first question. Because God is the one who initiates and completes the covenant. So we begin by first listening to God. And what does God say? God says, I give you grace, boundless grace, gifts and blessings and protection and sustenance. I gave you all this. See, God walks Israel through their entire history. From now as a nation, God goes all the way back where this nation began with one man, Abraham. And God was saying, from Abraham all the way now to a nation with a land, I was the one. I was the one who made that happen. Every good thing, every good and perfect gift came from me. It was by grace. I gave you grace. See, this, this, this is important because this is the basis. This is the beginning of any kind of relationship with God. It begins with grace. It begins with grace. See, it's not an equal trade between us and God. It's not like if I, if I do X amount of service to God, then God will give me X amount of blessings. That's not how it works. Our relationship with God is not based on karma. It's based on grace undeserved blessings and mercy and gifts from God. Everything I have, everything I will ever have and do is by God's grace. This has always been the beginning and the only reason that we can have any relationship with God. Whether it was God making a covenant with Abraham or God making a covenant with Moses or in this covenant renewal with Joshua, or yes, especially in our covenant with God through Jesus Christ. It was all by grace. It's unmitigated grace, boundless grace for us. Now let me 
dwell on that a little bit more. Because think about it. Even before we knew God, even before Jesus Christ came into our lives, we already had grace, weren't we? We were already saturated with grace, are we not? Because we were born into a world that is full of God's gifts and blessings, right? We live in a world that is given to us, that is a gift from God for us. We were conceived into a world that God had already blessed ever since Genesis 1. Blessed for us, for our life in, his, in here. And so we live in this world of grace. There is no point in time or place in the universe where there is no grace. It's all shot through with grace. And therefore, that's, that's the whole thrust of the gospel. That is what the gospel heightens and climaxes and fulfills in Jesus Christ. That the grace of God is given on boundless measures in even greater measure towards us. Because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is done. Grace, even greater grace, is given. So even while we were still in sin, we already lived in a world of grace. We were born in a world of grace. And now through Christ, we are born again into an even greater world of grace. Vast and immense world of grace. And this is where we begin. This is where we always begin. Before we even attempt any kind of spiritual renewal. Before we even knew God. Before we even existed. Grace was there for us. And therefore, if we were to attempt and seek any kind of spiritual renewal, it must always begin by giving our attention first, not to what I can do for God, but what God has done for me. It's not about what God can expect from me moving forward. It's about what I've already received and can expect more from God. Endless grace, like an endless waterfall flowing above me. That's grace, and that is the good news where we begin. The gospel where we begin, which is ultimately fulfilled and given for us through Jesus Christ. Unless we begin with this good news of grace and we begin somewhere else, we begin with ourselves, then no matter what kind of spiritual commitment we may do, it won't last. Sure, we, we can begin with ourselves. We don't begin with God. We begin with ourselves and we focus just on that. Sure, we can do that. We can grit our teeth and steal ourselves and say, Lord, I promise to do this. I will become this for you. And that's good and that's necessary, right? But if you just do that and you never begin and end in grace and rejoicing in God's grace, then none of those commitments will last. None of it will be permanent in your life. None of it will we'll, we'll, we'll come from a place of sweetness and lightness and praising and rejoicing in God until you and I can first say and sing, my chains are gone, 
I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. And so we begin with this. When we get to a sacred spot to present ourselves before God, we first soak ourselves until we rejoice in the grace that God gives us. And then, and only then, are we prepared now to respond with our part in the covenant. What are we binding ourselves to God in this covenant? And that is to replace this is our part. See, Joshua says here, Therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served. That's crystal clear. God will give you grace. But our part, the one thing needful, is our exclusive devotion to Him. Now, Joshua makes this painfully clear. He, he, he says the word serve seven times in these two passages. He keeps repeating it. Serve God. Serve God. Don't serve that. Don't serve that. Serve God. And this service is not some wishy-washy service like a bad service that you get from a waiter. No, no, no. This is a total commitment to serve consecrated service, a total devotion to God in service. The only proper worship is complete and undivided, undistracted service to God. Because God is not just the first among many. No, God must be the only one that you're serving. And remember, this isn't just, a, I'm, this is not, this is just, this is not just talking about other religions like God versus Allah and Buddha. No, no, no. It, it's more than that. In the New Testament, remember, Jesus confronted the very monotheistic Jews. And he tells them, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, it's not hard to imagine what else aside from money could be competing for our hearts, for our hearts devotion. You want to serve your career? You want to serve your ambitions? You want to serve your family? You want to serve your health, your interests, your kingdom? Sure, at the end of the day, that choice is yours. It's yours to make. But make no mistake, you cannot serve both God and these things. One has to go. So Joshua tells Israel, Choose this day whom you will serve. It's either God alone or you're alone with whatever other gods you want to serve. Choose this day. Are you going to serve, Joshua says, are you going to serve the gods of your fathers? In other words, are you going to serve the gods of your family? Now, that may mean family religions like Buddhism, or that may mean family commitments and values like prosperity and money and, and health. Are you going to serve that or are you serving God alone? And then Joshua also says, are you going to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? In other words, are you going to serve the God of the culture around you? 
Are you going to serve the cultural creeds like humanism, secularism? Or you're going to serve the cultural obsession to sexual pleasure and money and capitalism? Are you going to serve those? Or are you going to serve God alone? Because you cannot serve both. One has to go. See, in their world, the pagan nations around Israel at that time did not have to make this choice. They could accept all the gods, right? I'll worship this god, worship this god. I also worship the god of Israel. I'll worship Yahweh, sure. And they would tell Israel to do the same thing, and Israel would fail time and again. Now, a millennium later, back now in this place, now in this time, the world still says the same thing. Why not serve God and the other gods? Why not? Go to your church and worship God, and then go out here and follow our ways. Why not? You know, give, give some money to the poor, give some of your energy to some ministry, and then the rest of that, keep it and use it for yourself just like we do. Why not? Right? Why not? See, the names of the pagan gods have changed in modern times, but they still whisper the same lie. Why not serve both? Both God and money. Both God and yourself. Why not? But Joshua is clear. Choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to choose the easy and broad path where you can just serve any God you fancy for the day? Or are you going to choose the difficult and narrow path of worshiping and serving God alone? Daily rejecting all other things. I won't serve all these things. Only God alone. You have to choose because one has to go. To choose God means to reject all other things. To serve God means to stop serving all other things. See, if we are serious about seeking genuine spiritual revival, then we cannot simply think of addition, right? We can't just say, you know what? I'm going to add more prayer, more church, more Bible into my life. Now that's good. But that is not enough. You, just, you, don't, you, you can't just think of addition. You have to think of substitution. You have to think of subtracting the idols that are compromising your devotion to God. The idols that are robbing your service from God. And so, as we seek genuine revival, we have to be honest and ask ourselves, what other thing am I serving? Where is my energy and my attention and my resources being given towards? Right? Now, you have to be very careful. Don't immediately say, no, there's none. It's God alone. Be very careful with that because the idols in our hearts are very good at hiding. And they will often cloak themselves in biblical concepts. So you have to examine and, and be honest with yourself. Is this concept of good stewardship? Maybe... Is this just really selfishness and fear? 
Maybe this ministry isn't really all about God. Maybe it's mainly about me. See, we have to very, be very honest with these things because these idols are going to dare robbing and compromising our devotion to God. Only when we resolve to reject these things can we properly resolve to serve God in sincerity and faithfulness. See, once we get to a sacred place and we're there presenting ourselves before God and we're rejoicing in His grace, that's good. But at the end of the day, you need to resolve and choose to reject all other things to serve God alone. Joshua said to Israel, Choose this day whom you will serve. And that question is still posed for us today. And really, my prayer is that we would be able to say with Joshua, with our whole hearts, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even if it means going against the crowd, even if it means sacrificing everything else, even if it means losing my life, because only God will do. And I hope that we can truly say with Joshua and with Moses and with the apostles and the Stephen and Paul and the cloud of witnesses before us that we can say with them that I choose God. And so let us present ourselves before the Lord in a place devoted to Him. Present ourselves to God there so that we may continually rejoice in His grace as we resolve to replace all other things to serve Him alone. This is what we need so that we may see a true, genuine renewal in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word that is sobering, at the same time inspiring, that calls us and yet challenges us, Father. Lord, reveal to our hearts the idols hiding within. We are often blinded by our own sins. Open our eyes, Father, for we seek to truly serve you. And you alone, Lord, grant us the strength to reject these idols that we may serve you in sincerity, in complete faithfulness all the days of our lives. Father, we thank you that there is grace available, that there is grace abounding, that there is grace unmitigated for us. So we thank you for that. Help us to soak that in. And may the love of Christ compel us, Lord, to choose you again and again and again exclusively all the days of our lives. May it be so, Lord. Firm up our resolve. Lead us in the way everlasting as we choose you this day. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who established the new covenant for us. 
In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining our last online English worship. I hope this message blesses you, and I hope to see everyone at the Discipleship Center next week.